welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. Hallelujah. Are you in the temple? Or are you in the town? Are you a priest? Or are you a teenager? Mary wasn't the only one to have a surprise visit around the time that we remember. The other person that received a visit from an angel. And this morning, we received a visit from the Lord. The king is here. And when I asked, what is your response? It was a genuine question to enable you to process yourself. What, what is my response to that? It might have just been, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Or you may have just reacted to that the Lord is here. And this question, are you in the temple or are you in the town? Are you a priest or are you a teenager? It's, it's an interesting question when you know the context of how I'm asking it. And to be fair to you, Robin, you can't possibly have known. <laughs> but let's start in the temple with the priest. His name is Zachariah, and I think it's really important that we get that the scripture does not say he's a bad guy. It doesn't say that at all. In fact, it says the opposite. Luke writes quite clearly that uh, he's a priest named Zachariah in the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife was a descendant of Aaron. He's giving all the good quality Jewish qualifications to be what he is. And Luke's very careful to write that. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. I mean, that's quite something to have written about you in Scripture. I don't live up to that standard. So we have to be careful when we look at this story that we keep that context. Because often we are in the temple rather than in the town. Often we are the priest rather than the teenager But today, I want to be the teenager in the town. I want to be the girl, not the guy. And you'll see why. Because the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, and you see what happens there. And the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah, the priest, and you see what happens there. Both are having the same kind of encounter. Mary has it in the town. Zechariah has it in the temple. And it's his duty, as they did it then, to go and burn incense. It's his job to go into the, most, uh, into the holy place and be burning the incense. The, the prayers lifting to heaven. It's his job this day, his responsibility, and it was an honor. And he would have been very excited about doing it. We know that because it says he walked blamelessly before God. So he wouldn't have been thinking, oh, it's my time this week, I've got to on the rotor again. You know, he, he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't thinking, oh, Flip, it's like my time on the rotor. He was excited that it was his time to go and perform and, and worship God in this way, standing in the gap on behalf of everyone, the people. So he goes in. And uh, he's worshipping God, and then he gets this experience. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. I mean, wow. That's almost as good as what we were experiencing today. 
Because this is an angel, and that was the Lord. And the Lord is here now. But where are you? What do you believe? What do you encounter? It's, it's so, I see what happens to Zechariah, he's, he's performing his role, and very faithfully. He's worshipping God, and the angel appears. What is his response to God's initiative? I was expecting that. Yeah, God's always there every Sunday as well. Anyway, so, you know, I just... In fact, I get a bit tired after a while and sit down. And you know, the number of times I remind you that the only priest that ever sat down in the Bible was Eli. And then he fell over backwards and broke his neck. So be careful when you sit down. Because the only person that's really sat in worship is Jesus. Genuinely. I'm not saying... Don't ever sit down. But I am saying, think about it. Because it can say, I'm finished. That's why Jesus is sat. He's finished in his work that he had to do. And I know some of us can't stand, and some of us can't stand for very long. That's not what we're talking about. It's what's actually going on in our hearts. But it's actually what's going on in our hearts when we sit down. As well. When you were worshipping today, did you leave space for the miraculous? Were you expecting the miraculous? Could an angel of the Lord appear at the front here? I mean, many stories there are of people saying they've seen angels in this building. I never have, but there are many stories of. But maybe one would appear and we'd all see it Absolutely, yeah, that's there. I mean, these spiritual encounters always puzzle me. It's like when that la- that, um, the metal melted out of that lady's arm. You know, some people saw the metal drips puddling onto the floor there on the wood. Uh, others smelt it, that strong burning metal smell. And afterwards, you could see the little uh, marked part of the stage where it, where it fell, and there was a, a, a little bit of the very thin uh, metal left there. But others saw nothing. So, why was that? I don't know. I just know that spiritual things are different. <laughs> Can't give you an answer. But let's say an angel appeared here. Were you expecting that that could happen? Because if we weren't, maybe we've moved a step down from wondering what God can do or expecting what God can do. The only reason we don't expect an angel is because we don't normally see an angel. So we're walking by what we see and not by faith. But it's so easy to get into patterns. And even this man, this wonderful man of God, because it's in Scripture, it's actually written there that he's a great man of God. He's righteous in everything he's doing. Blameless. He's definitely not expecting an angel. Why is he not expecting an angel? Because that sort of thing hasn't happened for hundreds of years. As far as he knows, that was the sort of thing that happened in the Bible, as far as he was concerned. The Scriptures that he had. It's so easy to accidentally, even in a place where we believe 
God moves today, it's so easy to step into no longer expecting these things because we didn't last time. Are we being, are we in the temple serving faithfully at the altar of incense, worshipping God, having somewhat of an encounter? Zachariah would have been enjoying the spiritual experience there in that worship. It would have been amazing. He would have, he would be so blessed. And then this angel comes. And his reaction is one here of fear. Not surprisingly. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. Ugh, there's an angel. I guess if an angel appears now, we'd all go, ugh. There'd be a little bit of shock, even with what I'm talking about. Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Now, I'm not going to go fully into the story today, because that's not what I'm looking at. But he tells him about how he's basically, or his wife, is going to have a baby. It's a very similar message to the one that's going to come to Mary in the town, the teenager in the town. But he is actually in the place of encounter. He's the one trained for this. He's the one that's had the teaching for this. And yet, at his point of, shall I walk by faith? Falters. I don't think the Bible is condemning him for faltering at all, but he falters. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Doesn't sound that unreasonable to me. But the angel Gabriel sort of looks at him and says, I'm Gabriel, duh. I've come from the Lord to give you a message. That's how you can be sure. He might have said it nicer than that. But maybe not. He was an angel after all. In other words, Zechariah in this situation... He doesn't, he's doubting this word that's been given to him. How can I be sure of God's word, he says. And something strange happens, because Gabriel tells him that I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to give you this good news. And now, he says, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Be excited that his unbelief made absolutely no difference to what God was going to do. God can work through all our unbelief. But also look that what happened was he could no longer speak the word of God himself. He couldn't even speak ordinary words. He had lost an element of what he was actually there to do. He could no longer worship and minister. And when when we... lack faith for the word God has given us, we, are, we withdraw from that encounter with God and that presence of God and experiencing the power of God because we can no longer speak his word with authority. Let's look at Mary, where something different happened. And you'll see what I mean, if you don't quite get it yet. So the angel go, appears before Mary. So it says, um, in the sixth month, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, 
to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So we're in the town now. It doesn't, I'd lo- I, I wish in a way it did say what she was doing, but you get the impression she was just doing what you do in town. She was probably doing a washing, because that took a long time then. Or something similar. She was doing something very ordinary. She wasn't actually, like Zachariah, in the place of encounter, particularly for that Jewish mindset. And the angel says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Now, I don't know about you, but what would be more surprising, encountering an angel here, or the presence of God here, or on the high street? Let's say you're walking down St. Nicholas Street, and there's an angel there who says, Greetings. I know who's having the most surprising encounter. The king is here. What is your response? He's on the street. He's on St. Nicholas Street. He's on St. Thomas's Street. There's no doubt about it. Mary was greatly troubled. Oh, she's going the same way as uh, Zechariah then, is she? The word means agitated, disturbed. Remember, Zechariah was gripped with fear. I think often God's word is agitating. You get something from God, it disturbs you. It's supposed to. God's word rarely says everything you're doing is fine, just carry on. God has a habit of bringing us to a place of decision. This way. Or that way. What are you going to do? That's how God works. He keeps bringing us to a point of decision. Even at the beginning. Come, follow me. Do you want to follow me or not? Are you going to pick up your cross or not? Are you going to be filled with the Spirit or not? Are you going to pray in tongues or not? Are you going to prophesy or not? You know, there's always this step forward with God. And a challenge to move from where we are to where he wants us to go. Because he wants us to live in the fullness of who we are. Who we are. The challenge before us right now is not one of uh, individuals in one sense. It's that challenge, will you be my body or will you not? Will you remain as a congregation of individuals or will you walk together as the one body of Christ? That's, that's our choice right now. And God's giving us plenty of time to step into it because we've got to understand it. We've got to, our mindsets have got to change. Our minds are being renewed in the way we thought. I suddenly realize how essential Deborah is, how essential Joan is to my walk with God. And I haven't always thought like that. Because God has placed us in this body, and he says in the body, in Ephesians chapter 1, the fullness of God is revealed. In the body. That was his plan. Because you can only see the fullness of God in the body. Why can't I see the fullness of God in Pete? He's incarnational. He's full of Christ and Christ is full of him. He's walking around. Jesus is here. So why can't I see the fullness of God in just Pete? Because I can't see the fullness of God in just Jesus. Because Jesus is not just Jesus. God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit in a Holy Trinity community. And then Jesus even has the audacity to reveal to us in the Bible that you can only see the fullness of him in the body. 
So I can't see the fullness of everything of Jesus in Pete, handsome though those chiseled features are. Because he's only one person, and God is not one person. <laughs> Sally, keep controlling yourself. <laughs> okay, but she's troubled. And the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you found favour with God. How many of you want favour right now to suddenly discover that you're pregnant when you're a teenager and you're not married? Especially in this society when you can be stoned. Anybody want that kind of God's favour? God's favour means I'm going to have a... You know, I, I, you see it preached. God's favour means I'm going to have big rings on my fingers. God's favour means I'm going to have a big car. God's favour means I'm going to have a swimming pool. God's favour means me, 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 me. No, 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 no. That is not God's favour. God's favour is his plans being worked through us however he wants to see them work through us. Are you prepared to surrender to him for him to have his way instead of just bless your way and make it a bit nicer? Now, he happens to want all things good for you. We know he loves us because Yahweh himself came as Jesus, walked on this earth and died on a cross, a complete mind-blowing experience for any Jewish person. But he did it anyway, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be with him. So we know he's got our best at heart, even if we can't always see, where are you going in this? Why did you bring me to Scarborough? Why didn't you send me from Scarborough, for those that were already here? (laughs) Because this is the best place for us, and this is where we're called to, this town, this region, for now, at this time, for however long, God says. So I'm planted here in this good soil so that I can grow healthy and strong till the time comes, maybe, when God transplants me. Everybody focus on Jesus saying, go and make disciples. Well, in the Greek it says, go and make disciples. As you go, make disciples, said Jesus. As you go about your lives, make disciples. And we've glorified mission into only being, if you go to deepest, darkest Africa, as the great white man, full of the civilization of the mighty West, that's mission. Mission is being Jesus in the community where God has placed you, which might be in another completely different place, or it might be where you are. But as you go about your life, make disciples. I've met too many Christians who think they're not living as God has called them because they've never goed. And it's because there's been that emphasis. It used to be at the back of the church in Horsham, and praise God it's gone. Go! In a big letters. As if everybody that wasn't going was failing in some way. And actually the emphasis in Greek is on make. Interesting, eh? I'm not decrying missions in, in, in the traditional sense at all, really. Except if it is the mighty white man of the West taking it to the third world, because that's rubbish. In fact, the developing world sends far more ministry, ministry, missionaries these days than the West is doing at all. And they're coming back to bring the gospel back to those nations that need them. Hence the huge African churches, even in our nation. Anyway, what about Mary? Mary asks a very similar question. 
at first glance. And you think, so why isn't Mary struck dumb until it happens? Because he tells, the angel tells Mary, you're going to have a son. He's going to be called Jesus. He's going to be the son of the Most High. I mean, it's, it's like, it's similar. There's going to be a baby. But Zechariah is a priest. He's got a wife. He's married. He's not even got to have the baby. And, you know, I don't really know what that's like. But I know what my hand was squeezed like. He's not going to have the baby. And it's what he's always wanted. It's what he's been praying for. And he's like, how could that, that happen? I'm too old. It's not going to happen now. Mary, she's the teenage girl who's not married, who could be stoned for getting pregnant. So it's similar, but Mary's situation is much worse. Mary's situation is in the raw. She's in the town. She's encountering God where she is in her daily life, not just in the Sunday meeting. But she's not so totally thrown, because she just says, how will this be? since I'm a virgin. And there's that sense in her, you you pick up here, and the way the angel responds is, she's not saying, that's never going to happen. She's saying, how's that going to happen? Do I need to go and get a bloke? She's just trying to work out what she's got to do next. We know that by our response later on. She's looking for how to make the next steps of obedience to walk in this word. You see, asking God how is a good question. If it's coming from the sense of, that's a great word, God, how do I walk in that? Show me. Show me the next steps to take. That's the question Mary asks. So you don't want to be a Zechariah. You want to be a Mary. You don't want to be the priest in this situation. You want to be the girl. You don't want to be in the temple. You want to be in the town in answering to my original question. Because that is the place where someone, this girl, responded in faith to the word of God that came to her, even though it was potentially about to destroy her life. And yet it was the favor of God, because it would lead to humankind being restored in relationship. No wonder she's become revered and over-revered, it must be said, in some areas of the church. This is an amazing response of a young girl. If the church was like this, revival would be here now. It's like, I'm going to go for that. What do you want me to do? How do I do that then? What's my response, God? And the angel answers her question. Well, you haven't got to do anything, actually, Mary. Basically, he says to her, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and will be called the Son of God. Um, by the way, Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, she, was also, she was said to be unable to conceive from the sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Used to, in the older version, I mean, that's a, good, that's a good quote there. You can put that one on your fridge. For no word from God will ever fail. It might not work out how you expected it to, but it won't fail. In the old uh, 1984 NIV, it says, for nothing is impossible with God. I mean, I, I quite like that rendering too. For nothing is impossible with God. And yet it's interesting because the word in that edition, and they've grabbed a little bit more of it there, sort of. The word nothing, in the Greek, there's three words there. It doesn't just say nothing. There's three whole words. And the three words 
Well, the first word is nothing, except that it means absolutely nothing. It's, it's, it's emphatic. So you think, well, okay, so it's not just nothing, but the angel here is saying absolutely nothing. But then it's interesting because the second Greek word is a Greek word that em- puts an emphasis on the first word even more. Absolutely nothing at all, you could say in English. You're really pressing your point. Gabriel is really pressing the point. Absolutely nothing at all. But what's the third word then? The third word is interesting because they've tried now to bring it out in that later translation of the NIV. The third word is rima, which many of you know is the spoken word. For absolutely nothing at all is impossible in Greek with the spoken word of God. So you can see why they've tried to change it as they've updated the translation. This is the one I've got here is 2011. So it says, for no word from God will ever fail. They're trying to control, I think, a better translation, but it's more like turning it into the Amplified, is for absolutely nothing uh, is ever impossible with a word from God that is spoken with power. That's what Gabriel is saying. And that's why Mary has not stepped into the trap of Zechariah, who is silenced from speaking unbelief out. Mary speaks the word of God with power, although it is as a question, how will this be? Because she's asking, how will this happen? What do you need me to do? What do I have to do? What is my faith response? What do you want me to do next, Gabriel? It's completely different. You don't want to be in the temple. You want to be in the town here. You don't want to be the priest. You want to be the teenage girl, which I know for some of the men in this room, it's like, oh, okay. Like Pastor told me this morning, I've got to be a girl. That could come up with all kinds of misinterpretations in this age. <laughs> skip forward now, if you're following in your Bible, skip forward to where we've been in Ephesians, because there we're just going to finish this morning's message. Because we've got to bring it back into what God is saying to us now. Because the same question, not... I can't see how that's going to happen. That'll never happen with us, Lot. But how do we make this happen, Lord? What do you want us to do? How do we respond to this word, Lord, that you want us to be one body? Because there's people I don't like very much, you might be thinking. Or there's people I struggle to get on with. Yeah, that's supposed to happen. That's how we change. Uh, somebody was talking to me this morning about a Christian they'd met in a coffee shop who said... Um, they asked them, well, are you part of a church? And they said, oh, yes. We, uh, I don't know how many, let's say five. There's about five of us, and we all meet in our living room. And there's great unity. That's not church. Said, well, there is unity. No, real unity is when you work past the arguments and the fallings out and the disagreements. That's real unity. Ask any married couple. They haven't always agreed. Real unity is resolution. You, you didn't need to put your hand up there, but that's very good of you. <laughs> Every couple can put their hand up and say, we've had some arguments. Some of us will have had some real humdingers. A friend of mine used to say, well, I always knew I couldn't get divorced, but sometimes I did think about murdering her. <laughs> you know, Kate and I personally, in our walk with one another and with God, have come right to the brink of stuff God, stuff everything, we're getting divorced. We have, because the argument grew so bad, the enemy got in so much, that we virtually could not stand 
to be in other, each other's presence. Kate was challenged uh, by our pastor at the time. Um, he said, well, do you love Paul? And she said, no. And he said, well, can you let God challenge you to want to love Paul? And she said, no, I don't want to love him. I'm not telling you anything we don't tell publicly in, in, on the marriage course. But she got to the point before God where she said, well, how is this going to happen, Lord? Because I know that's not what you want. And God said, I want you to start to want to love him again. And that's where she started. Not I want to love, I want to want to love. But when, um, when Elvis was on stage on Friday night, singing that song, <laughs> I don't think it was much of a secret that it was me, uh, when I was singing it... <laughs> We should, we should get it straight, because we need it known right now that Pete is an awful lot better than that. <laughs> but it was great, actually, to sing that over Kate. The wonder of you, you know. And when you smile, the world seems brighter. You touch my hand and I'm a king. Your kiss to me is worth a fortune. I'll remember the last line. Your love for me is everything. That's it, that's the second verse. And that other part, you know, the, bit in the, the first part, and you're always there to lend a hand in everything I do. <laughs> Sing it again. <laughs> and you're always there to lend a hand in everything you do. That's the wonder, the wonder, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing here, Dan? <laughs> We're not letting him on as Freddie Mercury again. I just I can't cope with that. No. <laughs> yeah, it was genuine, uh, and you know, and it was lovely how everybody clapped and cheered when when we danced together because we've been married thirty years and we love one another. You know, uh, that's why when. When people are wanting to break up, I, I do understand how desperate it is. And I do know how God can reverse hopeless situations. Because I was in one, or what seemed like one. We overcome what God, the circumstances we're in, because the one thing we did trust in God was that he didn't want us apart. No matter what we felt, God had called us to be together. We didn't want to be together at one point, but God had called us to be together. And we knew that to be divorced was to go against what God wanted for our lives. Now, I'm not speaking into abusive marriages, and I'm not speaking against anybody that has been divorced, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not doing that at all. But, when God speaks, our response is, how can that happen? Or, we can come under a kind of, that's never going to happen. And because of what I've been through, because of who I am, because of the circumstances of my life, I'm never going to see that fullness of God. 
It's, it's, a, it's a kind of, not even a kind of, it is a victim mentality of I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be back, even in that place I was once. God didn't make a mistake when he chose you and called you to be part of this body. It was not a mistake. When you, might, you might not personally understand what he's doing right now. It might be brilliant, it might be not brilliant, but I can promise you that God will bring you through. I thank God that Kate and I stay together. And I'm such a blessed man with three beautiful grandchildren and a, a wonderful daughter-in-law. I mean, we had the children when this all happened, but to be together in all of that, to be together as a family this Christmas. I am blessed. But I know God can redeem every situation, but his plan for you is good. It might be impossible to see sometimes. It's been impossible for me to see sometimes. As we drove to Horsham, to take up our places at the Bible college there. I'd been a head teacher. Kate had been a PA We've given up those jobs. We've given up our house, or tried to. We're having trouble selling it, but that's a whole other story. And we were driving down the M1, and the one thing we were certain was that God had said to us, you will do everything that I give you to do. Our only question was to be how. We just stuck a caveat in there, because we said, we'd do everything we were asked to do except work with children. Teenagers didn't even come into it. They were just another planet. We didn't say no to teenagers because that was impossible. But we weren't going to work with children. We'd done that. We'd been there. We'd had enough. (coughs) I'd done the teaching. It was time to move into what God had told me was going to happen with my life. I would be leading a church. Towards the end of our year, we were asked to go generation at faith camp. And just after that, Can you take on all of the children's work in the church? Okay. (laughs) But if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have worked with Sally, and I wouldn't have found two great friends. Wow, we'd already found Pete, because he was on the course. But that was when I got to know Sally, by working with her. We've got to avoid a victim mentality of I am stuck in this low place or that my circumstances have put me in this place. What has happened to me, what that person did to me has put me here. In Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul is about to launch into this great prayer for the Ephesians, he's about to say, now I've given you all the doctrine of who you are in Christ, this is what it's going to look like. He's about to launch into it and he says, for this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles, (coughs) he kind of just throws it in there, a prisoner. Then he launches into the whole mystery of us being united in Christ, because he he suddenly steps back out of the prayer, thinking, no, you've really got to get that to see what I'm about to pray over you, you've got to be one people. You've got to be that one body that I've already told you about. So he then tells them again about the mystery of Christ is that we are united together as one person, one man in Christ. So he goes through all that again and then he comes back to it in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father. But just after that, at the start of chapter 4, so then, and that's, this time he prays. <coughs> Beg your pardon. 
He prays this great prayer uh, from verse uh, 16. No, from ver- well, from verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Every family. He's here referring to the body of Christ. He's here referring to those whose name comes from being uh, loved by the Father because you believe in Christ the Saviour. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, and then there's this marvellous prayer. Go home, go and read it, pray it over your family, pray it over yourself, pray it over this church, because it's God's word for now for this church. Uh, This is why God has been taking us through Ephesians to this point. It's central to the whole of the letter. Everything else Paul writes in the letter hangs off this prayer. And he's saying, to see what I'm saying in this prayer, you need to know the doctrine, and you need to know what comes after it. Just after he said it, he, comes, he, he leaps in again with, as a prisoner for the Lord then, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling God has placed upon you. Can you see how he is, he, he's an apostle? He's got this amazing call of God. Five years earlier, he'd been in Ephesus. At this time, five years later, he's a prisoner in Rome. God, what are you doing? Look how effective I've been. I've brought the gospel to many towns and cities across the known world. What am I doing in prison? He could have started to adapt to a victim mentality of it's all gone wrong. It's not working out properly. I'm stuck in this position now. But he doesn't. The only reason he mentions that he's a prisoner is to remind them that he's a prisoner, but there's something far beyond which is God's plan. People are saying, well, he can't be an apostle, he's in prison. He's saying, I am an apostle, that's why I'm in prison. That's right. That's right. Because I dare not disobey God. Yes. When he said, how God, he knew he was going to go to prison. Go and read the book of Acts. You'll see, he knew this was going to happen. He knew that's where he was going. It seemed a complete nonsense. How was he to know that 2,000 years later, we'd still be reading his words? Right. He was just writing a letter. As an apostle to his people... Now, it's still read, regularly. There's no other words of an ancient person read by so many, so regularly, all the time. That's Paul. He's the greatest philosopher there's ever been. He's the greatest scientist there's ever been. He's the greatest literary person there's ever been, in just in sheer terms of the amount of people who are still studying and reading his word, and have studied and read his word throughout history. Sure, there's some other great, well-known philosophers. Socrates, Plato... Those guys. But who's studying them all the time in groups around countries everywhere in the world trying to determine their lives by reading those words? There are some, but nothing like Paul. And he's in prison. But he's not going to take on board his circumstances. They were pretty powerful circumstances. Chapter 6, he talks about being in chains. He's writing this in chains in prison. And yet, what he's doing is going to endure for thousands of years. And it's because his view has changed from this world only to one of eternity. He knows that if he, if he is executed by Nero, who's emperor by this time, in his 60s, so he's, he's about 60-odd, we think, at this time. He could be thinking, I've got another good 20 years in me yet. But he just accepts what God's doing. 
because he knows that what's really going to make a difference is fulfilling what God has given him. Because what we have for now is wonderful. I love this life. But actually, we live for eternity. This is just a glimpse that we're living in. And we will have great victories and we will have what seem like great failures. We will celebrate and we rejoice and we will mourn and we will cry. But our question must always be, how, Lord? Are we going to be in the temple or in the town? Are we going to live out our lives before God everywhere? Or is it just a Sunday morning thing that needs everything to be going right? Because if it is, you're going to be disappointed. That's a prisoner for the Lord then. And this is the last bit. He uses the example of a prisoner. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And it's interesting. I looked this verse up in the Amplified and it says this. To live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity and mature behavior. I think the Amplified has completely missed the point. Sure, that is a worthy life. But what does Paul say is a worthy life? Because he gives an example. And that's a good example. Godly character, moral... Who could say that's wrong, really? You can't. Except that Paul doesn't focus on that here. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And you have received a calling. In fact, the actual Greek word is, uh, is not about living a life worthy. It's about walking worthily. It's, it, 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 and I like that because it's, you're practically doing it. But what does he say? What, how do you practically do that? How do you see that massive prayer answered? How do you respond as Mary rather than Zachariah to what God is saying to us right now? Because I don't want to be silenced. I don't want my words to lack the power that God intends for us to do. Someone asked me in the lobby today, or we were talk, they were talking about how can we see more miracles? How can we see revival? God is telling us. He's showing us. He's been telling us over the years, but it's becoming highlighted and highlighted and highlighted. This is how. This is what I'm saying to you. How do you see Revival. Be completely humble and gentle. Well, don't we just pray lots? Well, it says here, be patient with one another. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's a community thing. Living worthy isn't just about having moral courage and personal integrity. It's about how you live with others. And that is the message. Before Paul prayed that prayer, he had to remind them, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, that's us, are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body. And sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, the MP's wife, Maureen, she said they love coming here because it's such a wonderful community. She said it really stands out. You don't see this in many places. 
She's seeing it. It is here. It's growing. God's changing us. Are you going to be a Mary or a Zechariah? Are you going to be in the town or in the temple? Amen. Do go away and pray that prayer that's here. Because the next half of Ephesians all hangs back to it. We've been looking forward to it. Now we're going to look back to it. And this letter is exactly what God is saying to us right now. You can go and read at the beginning. Instead of to the Ephesians, to the Scarboreans. It was a Paul letter Paul had wanted circulated. I don't think he knew quite how much it was going to be circulated, but he wanted it circulated because it was written to Christians. But there are certain now times in the Lord. This is one of them. This is what God is taking us forward. Let's be asking that question, how? What is my response as part of the body? What do you want me to do? I can look at the other failures. I can look at the other successes. But actually, all God wants me to do is, how do I do? What do I do, Lord? How do I move forward so that we move forward into the fullness of what you have for us? God bless. Have a great week. Uh, Yeah, have a great week. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire. Thank you.